Coming up on this episode of East Screen, West Screen, the floating city sinks in Tokyo, Godzilla gets a date, and we look at the Category 3 film, Due West, Our Sex Journey. This is East Screen, West Screen with Paul and Kevin, where if films were food, they'd be full of it. Hello, and welcome to another episode of East Screen, West Screen. This is the show where we talk about film from Hong Kong to Hollywood and lots of stuff in between. As usual, I'm your host, Paul Fox. It is Wednesday, September 26, 2012, and joining me as always from his super secret location right here in the Fragrant Harbor is Mr. Kevin Ma. Hello, everybody. Uh, hello, Paul. How are you doing? Good evening, sir. Uh, we are on the cusp or the the fringe of uh, the mid-autumn festival so have you been stuffing yourself with mooncake i've been stuffing myself in mooncake since like march oh wow yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, all I right like no so, no i still you know it only, i only started eating i don't know maybe a month ago I don't okay know. all right do you have Just a preference of... are you are you the traditionalist or do you go for the uh, new snowy cakes no, I actually this year the uh, custard mooncake has been has been quite popular apparently. Mm. Uh, but I myself I don't like the yolk. I don't know about you guys, but I don't like the yolk in the in the traditional mooncakes. Mm. So yeah. that's that's what I don't like. But I really like the lotus part. Uh, yeah, it, it's quite. Um, yeah, it's really interesting, isn't it? Yeah, an acquired taste <laughs> for some. Uh, also joining us, very fortunate to have with us today, Professor Sean Tierney. Uh, welcome, sir. Uh, how are you doing? And uh, we're we're happy you can join us. Well, thank you. I, I'm not really a professor. I, <laughs> doctor would be okay. I am a doctor. They can't take that away. But I'm not a professor. Okay. But and you play I, one I on TV, right? I well, yeah, I have actually. <laughs> um, I but le- luckily never with a TV. But that's not my point. Really, I'm not a big fan of mooncakes either tradition they remind me of like starvation rations or something it's just you know <laughs> space so I rations just, yeah so i mean but i try to be in the holiday spirit so during the i just moon people i figure it's the closest thing okay so you show them your moon cake basically something like that yeah. yes all right why do you gotta give me that image oh my god <laughs> well that's if, not a pineapple that never mind yeah if you haven't figured out by by now already let me please warn you um if you are an underage listener this is going to be a, an explicit episode most likely uh, we are going to be covering a category three film a softcore adult film so if your Holy sensibilities shit, I swear. what's Sorry. that <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I missed I it. that was I thought that would have been me <laughs> I think you got to put the 18 plus tag there on uh, when we get onto iTunes. Paul. Oh, definitely. Special this shout is, yeah. out to Paul's dad who's listening yeah, right now. <laughs> at, at some point he will be. Um, but he's already gone through the Dynasty experience. So um, That's true. He, he's, he's, been, uh, he's been fraternized, I guess. Um, let, let me do say, though, that uh, we will be you know, discussing some explicit things. And if you are somebody who is easily offended by that type of content, you have been duly warned. Um, that being yes. said, Kevin, what film are we going to be covering this week? 
Um, this week, uh, we're only going to be covering one film, uh, Due West, Our Sex Journey. <laughs> okay. And what are we going to be covering it with? Well, uh, <laughs> we'll leave that to the imagination of the audience. Um, yeah. Uh, something that uh, hopefully isn't all that sticky, though. So before we get into any of that, though, why don't we get into a little bit of news? <laughs> All right, so because we've only got one film, we actually spent some time to dig up some news stories for this week. Um, up first, um, Kevin, you have a little bit of news about uh, Ho Hao Sin, and uh, he's uh, working on a Wu Sha movie. Yeah, actually, Ho Shao Shan has been working on this um, martial arts film called The Assassin for seven years. He's been talking talking it up for, I don't know, four or five years now. He said it was going to be um, a new genre for him. Um, it was going to star Shu Chi and Chen Chen, and the movie finally got started. You know, everyone forgot about it, but yeah, um, they the commencement ceremony uh, for the assassin started yesterday in Taiwan, and um, apparently they're set to shoot in October. Finally, mm. um, Ho Shao Shen, uh, better known as a director who never moves his camera uh, and doesn't cut for you know fifteen minutes at a time, now shooting a movie where people actually move. It'll be it'll be a quite refreshing change, I think. Um, Paul, are you? Oh, Sean, uh, Sean, I know you're not a big fan of Ho Shao Shen. Uh, no, not really. No, but Paul, Paul, do you know anything or do you watch any Ho Shao Shen movies? You know, you I've, I've tried this? to work through some of them, um, but yeah, <laughs> his, his, his pacing doesn't appeal to me all of that much. So it will be interesting to see, I think, what he does with this genre. Um, I'm, I'm wondering if he's really going to go the super slow motion route and the whole movie will just be like about one punch and it just takes <laughs> two hours to deliver one punch, so... Well, you know, actually, Ho Shao Shen doesn't his his problem. He doesn't use any style whatsoever. His, I think usually his his style is he leaves the camera and then he pans and tilts once in a while, and then maybe every ten minutes or so, then he then he cuts to another angle. So yeah. uh, it will be interesting to see him having to him having to um, cut to other angles in less than you know ten minutes. Hmm. It'll be very interesting to see how how he does it or what he does with it. He has he has said that he's not interested in doing 3D, so at least we, we know that we'll never get a Ho Shao Shan 3D movie. Yeah. Well that's interesting. I think uh I'm glad he's gonna spare us at least that. I mean Yeah. Again if he's well, doing a very slow 3D is only interesting when things move. Yeah. <laughs> that, was gonna, be, that was gonna be my point, you know. Because you know, his camera is always so far away. Yeah. Um, all right, well, we'll have to see how that develops. Uh, another bit of news. Uh, this was something I stumbled across over at uh, ChineseFilms.cn. Uh, Robert McKee, if you don't know who he is, he's a, I guess, I, I, at one time he was a, a script writer of some renown, but now he basically lectures on how to write and sell scripts. And he's become sort of a cult icon in the industry, so much so that he's actually appeared as himself in some films. I think the last time I saw him, he was in, uh, wasn't he in the Nicolas Cage film uh, adap adap adaptation? Uh, he uh, didn't play himself, actually. Oh, uh, he was a character in, in the script. But there was somebody uh, else playing him in that. In that yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, um, he was in China with uh, Weir Shan at a press conference, and they were talking about, you know, Chinese films. And he basically said China could create a new image of itself if it produced more comedies. Um, it, it, he feels that this would raise its international image somehow. It said, uh, China could, and quoting from the article here, China could create a new image of itself if, if it produced six consecutive influential comedies. Um, and I don't know. I mean, 
it just seemed to me that he was speaking from a position of somebody who doesn't really watch Chinese film. Because I was thinking <laughs> to myself, you know, China has tons of comedies that it does every year. Maybe not good ones, but they're there. And I was thinking like, uh, you know, Sophie's Revenge, uh, Go La La Go, even the one, you know, one we reviewed very recently, the uh, the Lion Roars. I mean, they have all different types of approaches. Some of them follow Hollywood style. Some of them follow, you know, uh, more of a Chinese, mainland Chinese style of humor. Some of them try and adapt uh, some aspects of, of Hong Kong style. And, you know, not to even mention the Chinese New Year comedies that come out um, every year as well. Um, so I don't know. I just thought that, you know, they thought it would be a good idea to bring him over because he's famous. But it seems to me like he really doesn't have a good grasp on Chinese cinema. I mean, Kevin, what, what's your take on this? You know, Robert McKee is a, is a script writing teacher, actually one of, one of the most respected script writing teacher in, in the film industry. But that man doesn't know jack shit about, about industry. Let's face it. Um, I think he, oh, he didn't want to go. He didn't want to go the raceway and just he could have just said a Chinese Chinese to make six consecutive influential kung fu movies. And it was a seat. It was a seat. Yeah. That's essentially what the world wants. They want Chinese people to follow stereotype, which is what, you know, kung fu. And that's essentially, I think that's what he's thinking, but won't say. And he also seems to, I mean, for someone supposedly so smart, he conveniently somehow overlooks the fact that comedy is the hardest thing to go across cultural lines. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the, the amount of context that's necessary for that stuff is so huge that I almost don't blame I don't blame anybody for not really being able to understand a different culture's comedy because it's un unless you lived in it, you just, you know, because like Kevin, when, when we watch, you know, Kevin Smith movies, we're the only two people in the theater laughing. Yeah, right. And and, and, and there's any any foreigner who doesn't watch who don't watch Hong Kong, who doesn't watch Hong Kong movies can name any Stephen Chow movie before Shaolin Soccer. No, because they're all language, cultural, culture based well, movies. I, I mean, and, and, I'd know, say only, Stephen Chow is a little bit of an know, exception. Um, Shaolin Soccer, Kung Fu Hustle, when he had fit more physical comedy that yeah. really traveled borders, that's when he seceded, I think, uh, uh, beyond Hong Kong. Yeah, and I mean, in in the article, McKee mentions, um, you know, Chapman, Charlie Chaplin, who went, you know, international. But again, his films were silent. His comedy was <laughs> physical. I mean, and we can point back to, to people like Jackie Chan, who got famous doing the same kind of thing, right? Mm. Um, so, Harold I don't know, Boyd. just... it. it the article somehow rubbed me the wrong way that he was coming in and kind of dictating what China should do. And it seemed like just a really kind of ridiculous strategy. Because when was the last time that an American comedy uh, came over here and did gangbusters? I mean, drama's easy. That's how Gong Li got famous, you know, in, in, in the early wave Chinese movies. Because, you know, people can relate to suffering. But like, you know, Sean was saying, comedy is not something that travels borders easily. And if you want to get invested in it as a viewer, you really have to work to understand it. Besides, it's pretty clear that Chinese people don't have a sense of humor. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would just say. Actually, uh, at the end of the article, I think there's something I do, I do agree with McKee there. He says that he hoped that Chinese filmmakers could shift their attention from costume movies to um, contemporary subjects. And I, I actually do agree with that. I well, think I would like to see more contemporary well, well that's gonna uh, happen from china you know, and they do they are they are on a trend of actually doing better than 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 uh period films yeah you know the, but that's gonna happen the contemporary subject is gonna be battles at the dayu or senkaku islands <laughs> but actually you know the, the problem with, again that shows mckee doesn't really truly understand the chinese film industry is because many filmmakers 
stay away from contemporary subjects because they're afraid of censorship. Yeah. Mm. Well, those rules are, are so broadly, uh, you know, broadly written, obviously because it allows them to just keep out what they don't want. Yeah. Well, especially well, with costume films, they can just say their defense is history. Or oh, it's from this it's from this liter this piece of literature, so you can't you know you can't blame me. So that's it, it makes it easier for filmmakers to make movies. Yes. Well, um, if, ahead, if I could just to go back to the comedy thing because I I don't know, did the Chinese version of What Women Want do any decent box office in China? It did okay, but it did under expectations. I think okay. for Andy Lau and Gong Li movie. Yeah. Mm. Right. Okay. Just yeah. wondering. Good point. Yep. Um, if you are interested, please go over to uh, the ChineseFilms.cn. We'll put the link in the show notes, and you can uh, read through the article. And if you disagree with us, uh, let us know. All right, uh, another bit of news, this time coming from our favorite news site, FilmBizAsia.com. Uh, this is an article by Patrick Frader from yesterday, September 25th. Um, Hong Kong Chinese film withdrawn from Tokyo Festival. This is dealing with a film that we covered here on the show uh, a couple months back when it was first released here in Hong Kong. And that is uh, Yim Ho's Floating City, starring uh, Aaron Kwok and, and Charlie Young. Speaking of not having a sense of humor, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, and basically, the film, uh, uh, the festival announced the cancellation of the film, which was scheduled to play in the Winds of Asia Middle East sidebar section. Um, and the statement from the festival says that certain reasons on the production side, uh, which is very ambiguous... And, I thought that movie was finished. Yeah, there, there says uh, it's. Then it starts to go into the political tensions between China and Japan that have escalated because of what's going on in the South China Seas right now uh, with the Senkaku slash Daiyu Islands as po a possible reason. I don't know if I buy that, but is it possible? I guess so. Kevin, what are your thoughts? Do you think that uh, this is because of the political escalation? I thought films and festivals were supposed to be, you know, about bringing people together. No, I mean, remember, actually, the Tokyo Film Festival has run into certain controversies, almost consistently run into controversy when regarding China and, and, its, um, and the greater China region. Remember, I think last year, the entire Taiwan, um, Taiwan, the entire Taiwan group couldn't walk the red carpet. I think it was because, um, 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 because of certain um, naming with the, with the country, things like that. The entire delegation was banned from walking on the red carpet. Yeah. Um, and remember, Li Bingbing also withdrew from um, doing promotion in Tokyo for Resident Evil and things like that. Um, like I said, Chinese people don't have a sense of humor. They, they, they tend to connect politics with everything. Um, and it shows here. And Sil Metropole, the producer of the film, and I think the rights holder, they're a uh, left-wing um, China-friendly organization. So it's no surprise that they will pull the film out. Hmm. That's interesting. It's too bad because it, you know, I it's not a great film by any means, but I enjoyed it from the historical perspective. Um, and I would, you know, if you're interested in history a little bit, and Aaron Kwok's not terrible, so I still recommend it slightly. <laughs> All right, uh, moving on. We've got another news story, this time about the aforementioned Miss Bing, or Miss Lee, uh, or Bing Bing, as uh, she is known by her friends, I guess. Or did they just call her Bing? Um, yeah, she is going to be uh, starring in a film that is, uh, I believe it's a British film, if, I, if I'm reading this correctly. This also coming from Film Biz Asia. Uh, Patrick Freider um, says that the British action thriller 400 Boys, um, she would be... <laughs> Currently I'm certainly shocked that the British right. would make a film about 400 sweaty young boys. <laughs> well, I mean, just 
I don't know if, if Mr. Freighter is having fun here, but some of the wording he's using currently headlining will be among the cast of 400 boys uh, that shoots extensively, right? <laughs> so draw your own conclusions. Um, so, yeah. It, uh, I, no, you know, I, think, I think Patrick has always been, you know, wink, wink in that sort of way. Yeah. Uh, he says, other casts includes Hong Kong singer-actress Karina Ng, Canadian actress Jodel Ferdland, and former French footballer Frank LaBeouf. Is he related to Shia? I hope not. It's about a gang of teen outlaws who have found a way to defy the limits of their physical bodies. <laughs> what does that even mean? Lord. <laughs> says the narrative echoes Logan's run in the Hunger Games. Okay, I, I can be down with that. Uh, a little bit, I guess. Uh, I I just hope that Miss Miss uh, Lee has more life in her than she did in last week's uh, Resident Evil film. Is that a spoiler? Because uh, that was not uh, that was not good casting on her for for her for that role. Um, but yeah, yeah, I'm I'm the fan of of the Bing Bing uh, more so than the fond Bing Bing. So I'll, I'll I'll look forward to this one. What do you think? Does this, does this do anything for you, Mr. Tierney? Uh, oh, you mean, does it make me want to see it? I yeah. mean, no. Um, Only there's 400 it, girls. It's Well, it maybe, or, you know, it, at the dynasty, maybe. Mm, yeah. But otherwise, no. I mean, there's, it's it's just so bizarre. The, oh. the, the, the whole concept of a, what is it, a paraplegic oligarch battles a much younger teenage freedom fighter who's probably not wearing many clothes and what clothes there are are wet and her gang of it's just bizarre like why would i watch this you know uh uh, kenneth in the chat room and and by the way hello to everyone in the chat room kenneth says are we sure this isn't the latest scud movie that would make it better (laughs) actually no there wouldn't be. be any women in it yeah Maybe, maybe or actually, Scud would play. Lee maybe Bing Lee Bing Bing's playing a, a, a cross gender, right? Yes, I don't know. Yes, he'll be in the shower, you know. Um, he'll play the wheelchair, and all the boys will sit on his lap. <laughs> okay. Well, I think we've uh, 18, 18 we've punned out that uh, particular story. So uh, <laughs> let us move on to our last little bit of news, and uh, to bring that in, let me play this. Okay, so a little bit of exciting news also coming from Patrick Freighter. Is he the only guy working over at Film Asia? Because it seems like he's the ones uh, whose news stories I always end up pulling. Maybe we have the same tastes. But um, the North American release date of the 16th of May 2014 has been set for the Hollywood remake of the Japanese classic movie Godzilla, King of the Monsters. So I'm excited and I'm very afraid because I know what the, happened the last time. Is it going to have the Raymond Burr parts in it? Uh, maybe. You know, anything's possible. We saw what they did with Forrest Gump, right? Um, so they can bring him back. I don't know. Maybe well, Jack I, Black I will be Forrest Gump. narratively maybe, speaking. They'll get Jack Black in the Raymond Burr role. That'd be great. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I'm excited about this, but I'm also very afraid because I'm, I'm fearful they're going to mess it up. But so far, some of the early press, they released like a silhouette of of the the creature and it looks like the the japanese thing not the giant iguana from the uh emmerich movie so uh, my my excitement level is still pretty high i don't know if they'll be able to carry that through for the next uh you know year and a half two years but um yeah i'm a fan so i'm looking forward to it uh kevin 
Um, if it's good, I think uh, Gareth, Gareth Edwards and all the scriptwriters need to write a letter to um, to a thank you letter to Ronan Emmerich for showing how not to do Godzilla. Mm. So if it works out, that is. Yeah. And if it is... Uh, uh, my biggest worry about the Godzilla thing is whether or not they're really going to... How much they're going to change the narrative because the original film is obviously a very strong allegory about nuclear war. And I'm just afraid that Hollywood doing what it does will take all the meaning out of it and we'll be left with a monster movie. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit afraid too that they'll try and Americanize it too much. You know, they'll shift it to, uh, you know, New York or LA or Miami. You know. Yes. And then China will claim that Godzilla has always historically been part of China because his undersea lair is actually part of the Daoyu Islands. Yes. And they'll put a leash on him. In and fact, Monster Island is part of, of the, the Daoyu Island chain. So there okay. you go. Um, but no, they're, actually, they're, you know, speaking of monster films in China, there was an interesting, uh, there was an interesting article I read over at, uh, at uh, Seneca, the pop-up Chinese website. And the gentleman who's writing out of Beijing wrote about why we don't see um, monster movies coming out of um, oh, let me add Kevin why we don't see monster movies coming out of China and it's exactly what you said his his theory was that you know they the, the monster Godzilla would come up the beach and um, he would get stopped by the PLA right at the beach so you'd have or no the pollution movie, you know you know yeah um, that would, that would be the the gist of it because you couldn't have uh, the monster coming in right. Unless it came from Taiwan, yeah. But even then, then it couldn't. It, it couldn't be. It couldn't successfully penetrate China because that would be exactly. You know, that would be bad. That's Which a is weird to me because you know they can do these. Episode. They can do these movies like you know Aftershock and things, and that's Mother Nature. And actually, when done right in the early Godzilla movies, before he became sort of a kids icon, Godzilla was also seen as a force of nature more than anything else. So. You know, very much yeah. like an earthquake. Of course, or even aftershock tended typhoon. to, you know, be sort of revisionist with the idea of the PLA showing up to save the day, of course, yeah. and hand out little red flags for everyone to wave. Mr. Ma, have you returned? Yes, I'm back. From the Hello. limbo? Ah, oh, there you are. <clears throat> I got disconnected. Yes. All right. Anyway. We missed you terribly. Yes. We were going to have to change the movie to 399. <laughs> so, yeah, Godzilla, excited. There's some there's some Chinese production company that's actually just blatantly robbed that um, and put it like as their slug. I can't remember. I think it was White Vengeance, the company that did that. It's like because yeah. Paul, we we looked at each other in the theater like that's Godzilla's yeah, voice. Yeah, I and they I, just robbed that, that thing. Yeah. Um. All right. Good. Shall we move on and talk about our category three film for this week? I think we should, let me do this. All right, so we have one film. It is a Category 3 film. That means it falls in the soft core porn area. Uh, it's all about sexy time. And it is called Due West, Our Sex Journey. Uh, so, Kevin, you've actually read the internet novel that I guess this is based on. And so yes. I think you'll, have, you'll be able to give us sort of the best lowdown on the film and the, the original source material. So why don't you take us through a quick synopsis of Due West, Our Sex Journey. 
Okay. Um, Due West is actually an anthology. The book itself is an anthology of um, two short stories and a series of essays by a um, an author called um, I'm not sure what English name is, but it's supposed to be a take on Haruki Murakami. He's mm. supposed to be he's supposed to write like he's like the Hong Kong perverted men version of Haruki Murakami. So that's his name, his take on that. But it started as um he started as a net net author on uh, the Golden Forum here in Hong Kong. The Golden Forum is essentially where all the uh, men go and a lot of the kind of what you call the otaku, the the I oh, the losers is that you go online, yeah, the, they form a community the, 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 and this the guy posted this, these the, short you know, stories yeah. on there. Um and and um the two stories became really popular and then um his stuff essentially got 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 published. Um, and the the novel called called US uh, was was I think published maybe we we printed I think six times seven times it was a huge hit, um, and mainly because um, the way he writes is very much very internal monologue, um, very satiric, um, kind of deadpan and a lot of take on the 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 way that Hong Kong men think. Uh, so in that way, um, mm. it was a huge success. The film version. Um, Kind of chain all these three things together: the essays, the two, and the two short stories um, together into one quote-unquote coherent story. Um, it becomes uh, the story of Frankie, a, a young man, um, as he as we follow his journey from uh, from a perverted young uh, teenager uh, to to um, going out to 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 a Shenzhen club to try and meet girls. And then failure of that, and then learning to to go to Dongguan to visit the the so called massage parlors, which are actually just brothels. Um, and that's essentially 119 minutes of the movie. Yeah, it's it's hard to believe, right? Um, like I said, it essentially chains together these three unrelated parts of the book. These are about three different these these actually have three different voices, but they make it one uh, into one one unified voice. Um, and it does follow the book pretty much verbatim. Even to the point of uh, pretty much copying all of the the monologue, almost every punchline, it's all in there, and that's actually a huge part of the movie. The movie is 119 minutes, and it's literally 115 minutes of voiceovers. I, I think it took them the time it took them to to record the voiceovers. Pretty much the same time it took them to shoot the movie part because there's so many lines. Um, but when they actually try to stray from the book, uh, especially in the first act, when they're doing the coming of age stuff, when they cover the the teenager, the whole discovering, you know, porn and and the first love and kind of thing. Actually, they do kind of exercise um, some creativity. The the director um, Mark Wu, who is also the writer uh, and also the writer of masterpieces like Lang Kui Fong and 3D Seconds Zen, that's actually when they seem to be using their brain, and and it, it's mildly amusing. I mean, those parts. Um, and you can see where they're trying to to stray away from the book, and where they're trying to show that you know the, the way they try to think about how to hook you know put together the whole thing into one one film. Um, but uh, the problem is most of the movie is essentially a direct adaptation of the book, and it's very faithful, almost too faithful. And if you like the book, it'll be like listening to an audio book version of the of the book with boobs on screen. Some some people like that. Um, it but, helps. Yeah, it helps. But the problem is, it's hard, really hard to see the appeal. You know, any newcomer who, who's never, who doesn't really get the appeal um, of the novel itself, they won't really see what's the big deal because you know it, it's not like anything that you know Wong Jing or you know any any uh, cat free exploitation films haven't covered. You know, um, uh, even even Lang Kui Fong already went to that ter- territory without you know, and just like the Lang Kui Fong, it doesn't have any nudity. 
that part of him, I think. So or white people. Yeah, or white people. But it's Shinjin. It was okay. Um but it does capture some things well, I think. Um even if we don't like the character, it is fairly it does cover the the um how do I say the the state of mind of Hong Kong men, how they deal with dating, how they see women, uh, how, how they act in relationships, you know, the way they look at sex and the way they, they, they look at communication and the way they see, they see um, um, uh, meeting women and how they see women, things like that. It, it, it's somewhat, it's actually somewhat, somewhat accurate, uh, I think, as far as I know. So um, if you don't like, if you see this movie and you don't like the Hong Kong man in it, then you might not want to date a Hong Kong man. And I'm sure it doesn't reappear, uh, you know, it doesn't reapply to any of us here. But yeah, if any woman who listens to this show and they watch the film and they wonder whether Hong Kong men are really like that, yeah, actually they kind of are. So, uh, so um, kind of adjust. Um, like I said, the book is really about satire and everything is handled in a very, very deadpan manner. For example, there was one essay about um, uh, the narrator going to um, <clears throat> going to a, a very famous um, porn site to watch porn. Um, on the day of the Manila hostage crisis, only to realize that the the site has shut down and turned the site into black and white, and the guy with his pants off decided that he would shed a piece, uh, a drop of tear instead of a drop of semen, and that's essentially the joke of the essay. But and a lot of it's written in a very deadpan style, and you kind of the fun, the joke of it is how seriously the author takes these things, but the film doesn't really capture any of that. The comic timing is very off. Um, the movie tried way too hard to to handle like a comedy. So the narrator is saying these lines like like they're they're punchlines in a joke, but when it shouldn't. So clearly, uh, Mark Wu doesn't really get how to do satire. Um, but knowing knowing many of these lines and knowing what's coming and knowing that they're adapting the, they're adapting the book pretty much verbatim, the movie amused me in some way because I know what's coming and I kind of want to see how they how they handle it visually or how they handle it in the film. But I think for everyone else, um, it is really annoying and really overlong and everything is really drawn out. Um, sorry, Mark Wu, having nudity in your film doesn't equate to visual storytelling. Um, just because you have a bunch of boobs swinging around the screen doesn't mean you're telling a story. You're just showing me boobs while you're narrating a story to me. It's really annoying. Um, but for anyone that's curious, um, want to see what this movie is all about, what the hype is all about, if there is any, um, then TV, it, you know, it's fine for like a VCD or rental kind of thing. But um, if you're just buying into the hype, not knowing what it is at all, then don't then don't bother. Um, I guess some, some cultural... Cultural explanation is needed, right, Paul? Do you think about why the whole Dongguan thing and and the yeah, I mean, idea you, maybe of... you can get into that a little bit. Okay, um, apparently, ever since the, the 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 Hong Kong reunited with the motherland, um, spending you know because before before the handover, people went to nightclub and we actually kept our 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 um, spending on prostitution locally. You know what I mean? Uh, but ever since um, the border that opened up... Don't make up, you a bad person. Okay. <laughs> I'm sure you have plenty of things to say about that later on. But yeah, ever since the border opened up, um, a lot of... And because I guess it, it's very tough for mainland, some women want to come down to Hong Kong because of the visa issue. A lot of them go to Dongguan. And Dongguan is actually very much known for not only a city of a lot of, uh, where a lot of Hong Kong factories moved up to, it's also known for where a lot of uh, Hong Kong men keep their mistresses or where they go to um, for a good time, essentially, because it's cheap. 
Um, and again, many any men who Hong Kong men who moved up there to work in the factory, they would just it's very convenient for them because uh, it is on the high speed rail. It's near Guangzhou. It's right between Guangzhou and Shenzhen. Um, and just kind of a small town, and and the whole city's economy has kind of built on Hong Kong spending, I think, uh, and that whole that whole that whole uh, social trend, I suppose. So this movie covers that, and also covers, of course, the 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 trend of you know Hong Kong men going up to Shenzhen club to meet women instead of spending again locally. Um, so it does it does it does reflect a social and economic trend. See, it's a very um. timely movie. But Kevin, didn't you say that in the film itself they'd actually taken out all the references to Dongguan? Yes, it's actually very interesting because the book is very explicit about where they're going. Um, but uh, for some reason, the film took out any explicit um, references to any Chinese city. For example, there was a scene where where um, all the there are a bunch of girls who come in and they each they introduce themselves and talk about where they're from. They, you hear kind of hear the city when they're saying it, but the subtitles took them all out. And also the the whole setting of the final third of the film, which is Dongguan, uh, was also taken out. I think they're assuming that everyone knows, and apparently there was some kind of. I, I heard that uh, I read from the official Weibo that the the names the name of Dongguan was forced was removed. Uh, they yes. they were asked to be removed. I don't know. I don't, I don't. They didn't really go into why. There are no prostitutes in China. Just ask the government. See, but actually it's very strange because the film isn't for sure. It's not going to China. But of right. course, the problem is the film's um, box office will be will be very reliant on the mainland Chinese uh, audience that's coming down here over the weekend and for the next week during the National Day um, and Mid Autumn Holiday. Right. So I think and that then, correct me if I'm I wrong, but probably I'm sorry. In in the long view, maybe the the producers don't want to alienate China any more than they already have with the you know the uh, breasts. Uh, he said yes. long view. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Kevin, but didn't they mention Shenzhen? No, if even if, I, I, even for that section, they didn't they didn't mention Shenzhen. I think, but I knew it was Shenzhen because again, the book mentioned it very explicitly. So this, I guess, is where where it differs. Um, because they were very they're trying very hard to appeal to a to a mainland audience. Um, even going to the point of you know official Weibo having a very prominent mainland uh, film critic go down to Hong Kong, watch the film a month early, and have him talk about endlessly. On Weibo mm. to try and sell it to a man and audience, mm. so so they are actually it's it's quite ironic that even for the survival of the category free genre, they rely on China. Interesting. Well, I mean, you know, I'm not the. Uh, I'll defer to Mr. T Mr. Tierney in just a moment. Doctor, the Doctor Tierney. Sorry. I didn't go to evil graduate school for six years to be called Mister. Uh, yeah, uh, I'll 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 refer to Doctor Evil. Tyranny in, in just Thanks. a moment. Um, I think that for, for me, I'm not a huge fan of of category three films. Uh, they seem very repetitive to me, um, unless they really attempt to do something different. In out in. Yeah. I'm sorry. Uh, and so, uh, for me, I thought the film started off with a lot of potential, and I remember coming out of it thinking the the beginning section when when the main character Frankie is just supposed to be, you know, this young teenager. It seemed like it was kind of going to have a certain tone, a certain theme to it. And, you know, I, I was thinking back to films like, you know, Hong Kong films like Yester, uh, Yester You, Yester Me, Yesterday, and others that have dealt with, you know, sort of a coming-of-age story, but not as a Category 3 movie, but still, you know, talking about gaining sexuality and these kinds of things. 
And so I thought, you know, all right, this is, you know, going along and it's going to be pretty interesting. But then it kind of, he get, becomes an adult and it just fell off a cliff. Um, for Westerners out there, I would say the plot is kind of like Porky's. But again, it's it's supposed to be a modern day China, even though they don't, you know, make specific reference to these cities. Um, there, there's attempts at juvenile humor in the beginning, which I liked, but then it, it, it just becomes more about, you know, uh, getting to the next scene more than anything else. And I was very critical of, of, uh, Lan Kwai Fong 2 a couple weeks ago, but this film, you know, made in comparison, Lan Kwai Fong 2 seem spicy. I mean, I was just, it was dull. A lot of what, what was going on here. Um, Ironically from the same, same creators. Yeah. And I didn't really care about this whole thing. I mean, there's the the write-up in the South China Morning Post um, by critic Joyce Mann was very critical of the what she called the stereotypical view of Hong Kong women in this film, which is interesting because we talked about they were trying to sell this film like they sold Sex and Zen 3D to some women-only screenings. They were really trying to get women to come in and see this film. And I got to agree with her a little bit. I don't think there's anything redeeming about any of the women um, in the in the film, the, the his main girlfriend is is very prudish, and you know that's sort of what drives him uh, to go out and and pursue the things he pursues. But she was just overly neurotic. I mean, I it, it was it was not even funny. It was just annoying, uh, in a sense. And so it all leads through you know it leads through this series of of fantasies and and, and relationships. One which. Uh, I don't know, it was really weird because he ends up hooking up with this girl in Shenzhen and he runs away with her because she's got breast implants. I mean, he's right there. She's, she's willing, he's willing, he's about to do the deed and, you know, he says, oh, her, you know, her breasts are as hard as rocks and I'm out of here. And he like takes off running down the street, which is just weird. It seemed weird to me. Um, I don't know, maybe that's my American sensibility setting in. But um, he, you know... It, it builds to this final climax, if you will, that comes when the central character encounters this prostitute who I, I thought she was pretty, but she was pretty in the context of all the other prostitutes they were bringing into this room who were <laughs> just ugly. I mean, looked like second place in a two man hatchet, fight. you know, it and and but you know, that's probably from a, from very a, accurate from a, but a, from a production <laughs> standpoint, you know. I find it interesting that, you know, how do you bring these girls in and say, all right, we want you to be hooker number five and you're going to be hooker number six and you're going to be the ugly hookers. Okay. In, in this role, are you okay with that? You know, I just, I'd be interested to see the production meetings when they get these girls in there and if they really realize they're going to be the, 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 the butt of the ugly stick uh, joke that is put on them. I'm seventy five percent sure that they probably shipped these girls down from Dongguan from real brothels. Yeah, it, you know, it, 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 it's you're, you're probably right. You know, and they were happy to get a paycheck, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. But at the same time, you know, so this girl, you know, this girl comes out and he ends up hooking up with her, and she's the girl, you know, the very well endowed girl, which is sort of his fantasy. He says Hong Kong women don't have uh, breasts, basically, so he finds the, this prostitute and she's very well endowed and you see her in the trailer and she is the you know she's the typical happy hooker basically um you know she's very happy to please him and happy to serve him doing whatever um even though she's had to do this like five times already that day but for whatever reason this is the best sex she's ever had 
right? Um, and, and she falls passionately in love with this guy by the end of one session. And it's just total male sex fantasy if ever there was one, because that is like, you know, the, the epitome of, of, I think, how men view, would view their relationship at, with a paid uh, escort. You know, it's like, I'm going to go in and I'm going to be so good that she's going to not want me to pay her at the end, right? Um, and I thought that is just so totally ridiculous that it, it's, it, it turns this film not just, in, not just takes away from a sex fantasy, but it makes it stupid in that sense. And so by the end, he's kind of wondering, you know, what he's going to do. Is he going to become the, I, I guess, the rescuer of this woman? Or is he going to go back to, you know, his, and, and change his girlfriend in Hong Kong? Is he going to change her from his prudish, prudish ways? That's sort of the, the final fantasy that he ends up having uh, on his journey back. Um, so yeah, the females here are not just they're 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 not of interest at all. They're eye candy. There there's there's nothing but you know there's nothing really redeeming or believable. And I in comparison with a film like Sex and Three D, which was you know violent and terrible and horrendous by the end, but at least I found the main character in that the main female character. You know I felt bad for her and 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 I was kind of drawn into her narrative a little bit. Here I had none of that. It was it was it was really just uh, you know it was really just playing to uh, the men in the audience more than anything. From a cinematic standpoint, I felt nothing special here. It didn't look nice. Again, we were watching in the Dynasty, so that's a strike against it. But really, there's no. You watch the two D version. Yeah, there's no real nice art direction going on, um, and there's, you know, it's if you're gonna do something. In category three, at least you can try and be inspired with it, right? I mean, here the stuff that they do, you know, from from a filmic standpoint, isn't it's inspiring at all, and that's why I was saying, go back to Lang Kwai Fong too. That was a terrible movie, but it felt more inspired than this thing, in terms of the way they shot it and the things they did. Um, What? 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 Sorry. Uh, What? So I I know what you mean. The cinema. It it would. How do I say that? The cinematography made things look more interesting. Yeah. Even though they were more covered. Yes, exactly. At least they, shoot, at least they shot outdoors. Yeah. Yes, that is true. Um, that too, yeah. For me, the best thing about this film is the poster, you know, which conveys this sense of, I don't know, liberality and 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 this sense of something something going to happen. And in this film, nothing going to happen. Nothing happened. I mean, most of the time, the two main characters were standing around and taking public transportation. They were on a bus, they were on a train, they were sitting in a restaurant, you know, rationalizing what they were going to do and all this kind of thing. And there, there's sort of a message by the end, um, and, and you know, the, the, the message, I, don't, I won't spoil the message here for anybody who possibly wants to see this movie, but the message was kind of ridiculous too. Um, but there is sort of a mor- moral to the story that, that the, the, the guys learn from their friend. Um, but even that is kind of not well presented, not well put together. It's, it's, it's a moral I've seen done in other films too. Um, so that, that itself was nothing new, but you know, there's just no, there, there, there's none of that feeling that the, the sense that you get when you look at the poster, uh, is just not there in the film. The film was just dull. I mean, I was, well, it was just not expecting it to be that quite that dull. Um, so I can't really recommend it again. I'm not a huge fan. If, if it had the fun of something like 33D Invader, I mean, I would recommend 33D Invader even to a friend who maybe 
doesn't have an interesting category through films because that's just a darn funny movie. Um, mm-hmm. This has none of that, so I couldn't recommend it. But I, I will, I will add add an asterisk there, Paul. Remember, our our Dynasty crowd did react quite well to certain certain verbal verbal humor. Yeah, but I mean, I for so. me, I, I you know a lot of it was some wordplay that if I caught it, it was like five minutes later, and there were boobies on the screen, so. <laughs> I wasn't paying attention by then. Um, So, yeah. Uh, Mr. Tierney, sorry, Dr. Evil Tierney. uh, Thank you. Can you give us your take on it? Okay. Uh, And I'll do my best to not say bad words. I don't know why. But um, you guys have already hit on most of the things for me that, you know, like I didn't know the story, but let's face it, I don't watch Category 3 movies for the story, do I? (laughs) Um, one of the things, Kevin, didn't you say it was the director that played like the most interesting of the friends? No, actually, I thought, no, no, that guy was, no, I didn't even thought he was that interesting. The fat guy. Yeah, the fat guy didn't wasn't that interesting. But he was the director, He he ends up with, uh, he's at least, to me, he was actually more memorable than the the so-called protagonist. No, actually, I thought Gregor Gregor Wong was better as the the best friend, the... um, Oh, Wong Jing? Yeah, yeah, as Wong Jing, the the handsome best friend who doesn't look at people, yeah. Yeah. I thought he was better. Oh, okay. I mean, but he didn't didn't talk much. But um, I think the the story, like you said, the, the way the film starts is very interesting, but not as a Category 3 film. It's kind of interesting in a different way. And if they had developed the film that way, it might actually have come out better. Um, but to me, you know, why do I watch Category 3 movies? I, I watch them for violence and profanity and sex. And this film didn't really have any of those things. Um, and I, I just, I remember... Uh, feeling i mean the one thing that i did appreciate going back to the poster and the opening of the film it kind of cracks me up that the china 3d you know the logo with the the guy with the red flag because that's bound to annoy somebody but in general the the film was just it was just like i i began to really kind of not want to watch the sex scenes because they were just uninspiring and gross or they involve people like the neurotic girlfriend that I, I didn't like. And, and I'm not saying, you know, that you should advocate violence in films, but if he'd have choked her, you know, I wouldn't have minded. And that to me, the biggest problem with any category three, especially a sex movie, if you make a boring sex movie, that's ah, just terrible. You know, uh, like we said before, 33 D invader was an interesting film because didn't try to moralize it just said hey we're a category three movie and here's a bunch of naked women and some mostly naked dudes and it's a dumb story but there's more naked people and there you go that's really all we would ask for and and i didn't get that what i got was a bunch of ugly women one of whom had comically large breasts and okay i admit this is going to sound rather juvenile but you know if it's category three why can't i see any pubic hair if you're going to convince somebody to take off their shirt, where's the problem in convincing them to take off their shorts too? I would like to see some pubic hair because it's category three. I mean, maybe that makes me stupid. I don't know. But to me, that was the, the big thing about the film. Just boring and, and tedious and just way too long. Yeah. And I felt kind of bad because this was a case of going into the film, like you said, with the poster – you knew it wasn't going to be great, but you kind of had some hope and they took that hope and put some lube on it and stuck it somewhere painful. <laughs> you know, the, the, there, there was one moment when I, when I thought they were actually going to be a little bit daring and that was 
early on when he's still a, I guess, a secondary school or a high school student, or I guess getting ready to go into college, he has a camp out session with his friend and a girl he likes and then the girl's friend, right? Mm-hmm. And the girl's friend is butt ugly, of course. And, 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 you know, she's not, I think they made her that way intentionally. I'm not saying that she's an ugly person in real life. It's one of these actresses that they intentionally make, you know, look bad. And then mm. through getting drunk and through mix, a mix-up of circumstances, he thinks he's with the girl he likes, but it turns, and, and there's a sex scene that they show, but it's a fantasy, and it turns out that he's actually with this other girl, right? And they don't show her at all you know it's 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 a comically farce scene and I, I was thinking at that at that moment i was like why not you know why not have him have a flashback of with that girl you know as as ugly as they're trying to make her put that in you know and and at least be a little bit daring and and don't take the you know the cop out where you know you know they were together but you never really, really actually see anything of what really happened you're just left with the fantasy sequence right um, yeah, but the question is whether the 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 quote unquote ugly girl was willing to do it. Right. Well, they could have gotten one who was, I'm sure. Right. I mean, they got attractive girls who were willing, or you know, as Mr. Tier- Doctor Tierney says, uh, not so attractive girls. Exactly. <laughs> but I don't know why you guys say it didn't go. I don't get why you guys would say it didn't have any. Um, What's the word I'm looking for? You know, when 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 someone had a plastic dildo up a dude's ass, I thought that was pretty profane. I don't know about you. Pretty what? That was pretty profane. That was pretty crude. I don't know why you guys talked about how it lacks it lacks any any. I mean, it doesn't make or, you a bad person. <laughs> but no, I'm just saying that that it had the content. It had the category free content. Yeah, but that was it. it. But it wasn't. Yeah. It was. It was. You know, that whole scene was he had checked off every experience on a list, and he didn't know what any of them were. So right. you knew what was coming. I and, did. And then you didn't, I mean, the way they portrayed it was just like, meh, you know? I mean, I, 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 it, I saw that same scene, except it was done by two men, and one of them was Chevy Chase, and the other was a doctor using his hand. And that scene, you know, was in Fletch, and it was a lot funnier. So, um, I, eh, I mean, I, I don't know. It's The, the thing is, it, it was a very, I think, I think Mark Wu did have a very difficult, um, very difficult task on his hand. He's dealing with literally, you know, millions of, of Hong Kong netizens, you know, who are watching, watching the entire movie, every move trying to, you know, trying to satisfy those guys or, or trying to satisfy people who, who don't get the source material. Yeah. And it's clear that he, he didn't want to be attacked on golden form. So he went on, um, so he went that, that way. Well, I mean, um, speaking guess, about the source material, uh, newcomers end up getting sacrificed. Yeah. Speaking about the source material as somebody who's, gone through both i mean what are your thoughts i mean you you seem to really have liked the source material but did it doesn't seem like it was an adequate job i mean are are people reacting positively to the film or uh you know how, um, how? i i think they're of mixed bad i think just like me i was very mixed because when you're rehashing something that i already liked so of course i'm gonna like it right because they're rehashing something i liked but in the way I, I I know that you know cinematically it's a complete failure. I know that the voiceover is really annoying. It shouldn't be there. It's not a cinematic movie at all. Uh, by uh, on all counts, it's a very bad movie. But they're using material that I know is not from them. So I don't like 
Mark Wu as a filmmaker. I don't like the film, but I like the material they used. So yeah. I actually was very conflicted about the film. Hmm. Yeah. Um, how, how would you, how would you compare it with last year's Sex and Zen 3D, even though we didn't see this one in 3D? I mean, there was a lot of controversy last year with a couple things, you know, the fact that, you know, it does get overly violent and this one doesn't. Um, also the fact that you had, uh, you know, um, one of the actresses they used CG, on and i don't think we had any of that here right so do you think that this film has been a direct response to some of the criticisms of last year's film yeah it's it, actually a lot of the the film's element the way they approach the material is a direct response to sex and zen mm-hmm. in a way um i didn't watch the 3d version of this movies, but apparently they made the sex more 3d apparently i've heard um and also, they took out any any violence, any possible traces of violence in the movie. Hmm. Um, and so, so in a way, they are trying to to they are trying, but it doesn't really hide the fact that it's a total cash in that because sex and category free start, suddenly started selling. But they also know that you know a movie like Thirty Three Invader doesn't work because it's too old fashioned. Yeah. It's too old fashioned in a way that is too overly overtly sleazy. You know what I mean? Um, so Thirty Minutes there was actually a major flop, especially uh, for a movie that was a cash in. So they were very care. I think they were qu- quite careful about how to approach the material here. Mm. Um, the, you know, like I said, I, I I think cinematically the film is a complete failure. It's a very bad film, um, and they even took out some of my favorite stuff in the book. Um, and the, the, I, I I admire the way they tried to chain everything together into one story, but. Um, it, 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 I, I, I would just say that I didn't hate as much as you guys, but I didn't quite like the movie. Again, it's a very conflicted feeling here that I'm feeling. Hmm. Uh, I, I don't want to have to come. I don't, I don't like having to defend, defend the movie. It doesn't de- deserve defending, but I feel like a lot of the time I have to. I feel like that, that defend some of certain things in it. So I don't even know what to think. Hmm. <laughs> I don't know why I'm defending the movie at all. It doesn't really deserve me defending it, but it for some reason I, I want to defend this movie in some ways well, that. Could- because you could get something out of it that Paul and I it really couldn't. Now, now I kind of get how Mainlanders saw the the, the communist propaganda movies. <laughs> when going go up against me. Oh yeah, yeah. In well, a way, because you know, it's like someone who got some people who got certain something out of it. People who went in there knowing certain things or a certain uh, frame of mind. They having to to defend that movie to people who don't get it. Um, and I really hate the idea that, oh, because you guys don't get it, so therefore you guys don't like this movie. And it's not true because I know the movie is bad, but I feel like certain things I do defend some of their decisions. Hmm. Well, I mean, uh, I guess in terms of the, the finances, what they spent to make it and what it's made so far, um, does it look like the film's going to go on to be an economic success? Can we expect sequels or it, will the, the, the writer because of his, you know, economic success, continue to, you know, write these characters and, and or, or write further books that might later become additional movies? Well, the thing is, they really, since they kind of just made it up, the filmmakers just kind of made up this, this you know, imaginary character. Because, like I said, they're all supposed to be different characters. So as long as the writer keeps writing, and I already have his book of essays, um, his, his latest book, 
as long as you keep writing these things, as long as you keep writing short story, I'm sure the the the, the filmmakers and if it's success, success, the filmmakers will keep trying to you know drag it in and try to make some money out of it. But um, and from the looks of the the, the production value, it's clear that they're going to make a profit. Hmm. Um, I I'm I'm not sure. A lot of it depends really next this coming weekend. Um, how the mainland audiences. A lot of the it's clear that this this movie is is very much made for a um how do I say, um, uh, uh, uh audience that hasn't been painted yet, if you know what I mean, but who who are not used to who are not quite well, well well not quite familiarized with the yeah well versed with the genre you know people who yeah. are like oh my god boobies oh my god talk about going to going to brothels oh my god right. And this is gonna, this is gonna, they're gonna learn certain things. So to them, they're gonna, you know, come out and they're gonna, they think it's educational. They think fun. Because some of the observations really are funny. But yes, it's still, I, I, we, you know, uh, so, so it depends uh, how, how, it, how, how um, mainland audiences uh, react to it this coming week. And if they do it, well, if they do well, then uh, don't be surprised if there will be a sequel of some way, some sorts. Hmm. Well, I guess. We can briefly maybe talk a little bit about the Category 3 genre in, in general. It, it's kind of gone through a little bit of a resurgence now, in part because of the experimentation with 3D. Um, I'd be interested to hear both of your thoughts on the, the, you know, why you think the resurgence is there. Is, is, has Hong Kong become too conservative in its films? And so, you know, people are longing for skin. And so that's why... You know these films are, are um, you know pulling in in some bigger numbers than might be expected. At least, you know if we were to go back, uh, you know ten years ago, and you know I can remember when they actually still had a couple category three only cinemas. You know that would run really you know stuff that would should go right direct to video, um, with nowhere near the production value of the things we've seen in the last couple years. Um. So are you know are are Hong Kong people sex starved because we don't see that in you know you don't you don't see it on TV even in the, the TV dramas you don't you don't see it in the regular films by the you know the Johnny Toes and the the Wong Jings so is there is there a, is is there sort of a revolt against the conservatism amongst the audience and I I know that we can also point to the idea that a lot of mainlanders are coming in to watch these films too, and that's helping the box office a little bit because they're not going to be able to see these uh, in in the mainland. But what do you think is driving it, and how does it compare to what some people might consider sort of the golden age of the category Hong Kong category three films? You know, the old uh, Amy Yip films and and some of the more class, con- you know, based on classic literature, but some some of the films that are now considered category three classics. Um, Sean, what are your thoughts? Oh, I was going to let Kevin go first, but um, I, I, I don't necessarily think people are rebelling as much as I think they're kind of exercising a choice. Because as you said, most media is so completely desexualized, whether it's local norms or, you know, you have to pander to the China market. And and it's been so long because, I mean, let the so-called golden age, there were a lot of category three movies and a lot of them were garbage. But I, I think that between reintroducing 3d and just kind of the novelty factor, you know, um, 
and and maybe I would say over the last five or ten years, the uh, I don't know what the word is really, but when you really think about pornography, I mean, you can't escape it. And for us, or for me anyway, as someone who's middle aged, I mean, pornography used to be magazines. Now it's virtual, and people just it's everywhere. So I think that in a sense, people's ideas about cinematic sexuality have changed simply because they're so overexposed to it in a lot of, in a lot of other ways. So I, I think people just kind of wanted to see something different. They wanted to have a different choice. Um, but I, I don't necessarily see it as, as rebellion. And obviously, like you said, with the people from the mainland coming here, sort of, you know, sex film tourism, if you will. Um, that's a, another option because people there obviously don't get that opportunity unless they download Japanese pornography, which makes them unpatriotic. Um, <laughs> it's true. But otherwise, I, I don't know. I, I think I was just glad to see them simply to kind of have the option. And one of the things I didn't notice it with this film, obviously, because I didn't really find it that entertaining, but going back to 33D Invader and even Sex and Chopsticks, one of the things that I liked about the old Category 3, especially sex movies, was that when you decide to get into Category 3, it opens up this bizarre kind of adult humor thing. Like, you know, the funny side of somebody lopping off his privates and swapping them with the horses. Like, you know, I'm not saying that's inherently funny, but when you get into that realm, you have the chance to make certain kinds of jokes like sex and chopsticks. You know, the recurring gag of um, what's his name kept getting kicked in the nuts like it was a cheap gag, but it was funny. And you, you kind of can't do that in a normal film. You certainly can't do it on TVB. So to me, that's the thing that I miss. Um, and for me, like I said, not getting most of the humor in this film it was kind of lost on me. Yeah, it, I, I think it's interesting, too, when. Sometimes you'll be watching a film like this with a lot of people you've never seen before, a lot of, you know, neophyte young actresses who've agreed to, you know, take their top off or whatever, and usually some new actors. But every once in a while, you'll see a veteran. So in this film, we got, who was it, the Tanky Teen, Kevin? The, the, from you Shaolin, mean Tinkaiman? Yeah, from Shaolin Soccer. Um, yeah. You know, who shows up as a, you know, he's basically like this... The brothel's manager. Brothel manager. And, you know, he's doing his normal shtick. And uh, it's just weird. It's like sometimes, the, the, you know, these these normal Hong Kong folks will show up in, in a Category 3 film in places you, you might not expect. And it it lends a little bit of legitimacy <laughs> for, for me somehow, um, even though it's kind of a strange uh, legitimacy to some extent. I mean, you you really wouldn't get a lot of this um you know in the states i mean the uh, for for me the, i guess these films would be more comparable to stuff you might see like on the playboy channel you know or or some of the stuff that that used to come on cable channels like really late at night and it would be really weird to see like a you know i don't know like a chris rock showing up or um you know um uh who who's the guy andrew dice clay Right, you know, mm. show, showing up on on something like that in just a cameo role, you know, just a small bit part, it would just be weird. But here, it's like still within the realm of normalcy, and I always find that uh, a little bit interesting. Um, well, so, well, also, if if I may interject, yeah. it, it's a an interesting thing too that in Hong Kong there isn't 
I mean, in, in Hollywood, when a woman plays a prostitute, it's kind of an obvious Oscar bid, whereas here it's really difficult to find an actress that hasn't played a prostitute, yeah. you know, in a very sort of matter of fact way. And the other, the other, the other idea too that I that uh, Sean was touching on. I mean, there is so much. I wasn't touching anything. Well, <laughs> we hope you weren't. <laughs> there is a lot of repression in the normal media. I mean, I just watching the TVB drama um, with starring Chin Kalak the other day, and it it ended. They had their, you know, the 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 TV dramas here. They run for nightly for about, you know, 20, 25 episodes, and then they end, and something new will come along and, 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 and replace it. And if it's overly successful, they'll make a part two a year later or something. And the whole sh- the whole series will basically follow three romantic plot lines. And so I ended up watching all 22 episodes, and by the very end, you know, uh, relationships have been resolved and and this one very sort of back and forth relationship between uh a young a young actress and a young actor i can't remember their names right now you know it was back and forth and back and forth and then by the very end they'd finally worked out their thing their 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 differences and they were going to get married and the most intimate thing in the whole 22 episodes was right at the very end last last their last scene of the last episode he kisses her on the forehead Right. Not even a, a mouth to mouth kiss is allowed, you know, with a couple who's, uh, you know, going to get married. So there is still a lot of, um, you know, repression that goes on. I don't, I don't uh, repressions may be too strong a word, but they just don't show intimacy over here as part of the, the media culture. And so when you get a film like this, it's kind of like on the complete opposite end of the spectrum or even more so. Uh, sex and Zen 3D, which throws in uh, mm. the spiky horses and things. <clears throat> okay. Um, and here's the part where I answered your question earlier, Paul, by negating your entire line of questioning. Yeah. Um, because there isn't a resurgence of Category 3 movies. There isn't a resurgence of sex movies. Um, well, look per- at Sex and Chopsticks. Those movies flopped. There's 3D Invader. We're talking about traditional... Um, Sexual exploitation category free movies. Well, now they flop. Well, I mean, we they go back to well. we go back to section chopsticks, right? That sex is and three D did well. It's because everything but the sex, right? But right? I mean, even going back to sex and chopsticks, that was just you know what was that two thousand and nine? Yeah, yeah. Um, but before that, what what did we have? I mean, it, it it's like right around that time they started going back towards bigger production value. For the category three and and yeah, thirty three D Invader, not a lot of production value, but they did have a fairly diverse cast. They brought in actors from Japan uh, who were fairly famous. They had some special effects in there. They and had they an illegitimate ugly. Yeah, yeah, they had an illegitimate. Category three movies. Uh, I mean, back in the nineties, they always had Japanese uh, adult film actresses. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I guess. I think, I don't, but I don't actually, know. we talk about we talk about general audience interests, and the reason that audiences were interested in Sex and Three D, um, Do West, is the same reason they were interested in Bulgaria because have slapping a Category Three on there, um, and a and 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 a hip selling point means that it's not for China. Yeah, what? that's essentially that's essentially what it means. It doesn't mean they want to see sex. Um, but pretty but, much anything you slap a Category Three on means it's not for China. Yeah, pretty much anything that has category three and from from and that speaks Chinese is not from China. But you know, Bulgaria, um, Lust Caution Bulgaria, wasn't for China. Um, I'm sorry, Lust Caution wasn't for China. 
Plus Caution did play in China. Yeah, but not the Category 3 version. Yes, because so people went in because they could see Tony, not because they could see someone's balls, because they could see Tony Lund's balls. <laughs> <laughs> that really was, and well, and plus the movie was good. That you was know, a stand-in. Plus Tony Lund's balls. Those were How not his balls. <laughs> Pretty those, easily. Those, those were dummy <laughs> balls, I'm sorry. No, it, actually it was many, it was, Lust Caution was not just about the sex, it was also about... Uh, this newcomer, this this big newcomer. Um, this movie went to Venice. You know, we're talking about Ang Lee. We're talking about um, this man who who brought Chinese cinema to the Oscars. Um, it was many things. And Tony Lawrence Balls, of course. Um, when you look at look at successful category three movies, it's never just about the sex. Mm. Even how many how many really successful category three sex films can we count? I'm talking about from the 80s to the 90s. There are only a few real commercial successes. Uh, we talk about like what the fruit is ripe. Uh, Second Zen, the first film. Um, Second Zen two was considered a flop because they because Wang Jing spent so much more money on it. Yeah. Mm. So well, so so it was never really commercially viable genre in the first place. Right. So anything that we talk about, any resurgence uh, we're talking about, is really um, vulgar vulgar films in general. Because let's right. face it, Hong Kong people are vulgar. Right. Well, I, right. I think maybe rather than say resurgence, you could say reappearance because prior to Sex and Chopsticks, like you were saying, before 2008, what was there in terms of that type of thing that was, you know, released widely? Was there, I don't remember anything. There was Didn't stuff going stuff straight, went straight to video. Yeah, straight to video DVD, stuff. You know, a lot of DV movies. Right. Yeah. But I mean, in terms of like big theater releases, stuff that would was play in the mainstream cinemas. versus foreigners. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, but actually, you know why? Because again, it goes to prove that because there was no commercial viability for these kind of movies. That's why they went to the to, to the single screens, to the to the direct to video, to the video on demand stuff. Because there was no commercial, it was no commercial viability for these movies. Yeah. So Except for a bunch of old dudes at the Dynasty at ten a.m. Yeah. And or me. The silver. Or the silver. Yeah. 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 That but was worth the trip. <laughs> But if anything, Bulgaria, um, um, um due west, um, um, even uh, second century D's because they captured, they were sell, sold as Hong Kong film, you know, they weren't sold as sex movies. They were sold as if you're watching it, then you can talk about it with other people. Thirty Three D Invader didn't have that stuff. They only had um a really famous adult film actress. Otherwise, then otherwise it's the stuff that people shied away from anyway when they were selling in the theaters in the nineties. Had a fake Donald Duck. Wait, what? Had a fake Donald Duck. <laughs> All right. But, uh, seriously, how many? I mean, have you asked? Actually, I, I, have you asked people if they've seen Thirty Three Invader? Many of them probably stayed home and downloaded it. Yeah, but no one no, would be watching it, it because they'd be ashamed of watching someone that's so outrightly um, um, sleazy. But it's got Long Kai Yang. That's loss. All right, I think we've spent uh, more time than is needed discussing uh, <laughs> these films. So, with the final word, here is Michael Wong. Uh, and we'll leave it at that. So uh, let's move on and let me play this. You're listening to the East Screen, West Screen podcast. Visit Comcast.com for more.
All right, we have a couple comments this week. Uh, first comment coming from Steve Barr via Facebook. Uh, it says, Kevin, Ranbin Kapoor was very good in Rocket Sing. Um, um, remember Kapoor? Kapoor is the star of uh, Barfi, which we talked about last week. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, apparently he has a, he's already quite a big star in Bollywood, uh, quite a, one of the up-and-coming young stars. Um, and if, like I said, Rocket Sin is, is very good, then uh, yeah, I'll definitely. Apparently yeah. he plays a salesman. In that movie, so I'll definitely try and check it out. I, I was, I think, I stumbled across some news too about Barfi saying it looks like it's uh, going to be up for some big awards. Um, it is representing India at the Oscars. Yeah. So that that is pretty much you know in a, in a, from an industry that produces you know free for movies. Um, it's it, it, I can understand why it, it travels quite well um, because a lot of silent comedy stuff, but I don't think it would do well in the Oscars. I think the film has a lot of problems anyway. Mm -hmm. So. Uh, also, another comment from Ken in the chat room. When the uh, chat room was up, I do apologize. We did lose the stream about halfway through the show, and uh, I restarted, but the chat room, at least my chat room, never came back. So if there's another chat room going on out there and uh, everybody's chatting, I hope you're having a good time. Um, but Ken wrote in, he said, uh, Hey guys, on Category 3, do you think there ever is a chance Wong Jing will go back to exploitation, like in the 90s, maybe uh, Raped by an Angel... 2012 i would bet against it i think because i uh, we've talked about wang jing a little bit before and i got the sense when when i when i listened to him talk that he's all about the mainland now and you know making stuff that can be marketed and sold at some point um along the line to the mainland so i i don't think I don't think the Raped by an Angel films would play in the mainland today. I mean, maybe Sean and, and Kevin can jump in and comment on that. Uh, but uh, I, I think that, yeah, he's going to focus on stuff that gets played in the mainland. If that's like a naked soldier, which has no nakedness in it. Um, Except then, Sammo Hung. Yeah, that's not <laughs> naked, which you want to see. Um, but yeah, I think that's the kind of stuff he's going to do. Fast, cheap you know, get it out there, fill the content time slots wherever they are and, and let the dollars roll in. Um, Kevin, Sean, what, what are your thoughts? Do you think um, you'd be likely to resurge and go back into that, into any of those areas? Never. Yeah. Never, no. because a couple of reasons. Um, one, because, because Wang Jing, when he did those exploitation movies, he only had maybe two, two movies that made money. Um, like I said in his book, he, he always made these things because they follow trends. Um, he wanted to try new things, so he sold Ching Miao as a, as a, as a, as a category three star. That made money, but that stopped making money, and he stopped doing it. So essentially, no, he knows that you know, a movie like Naked Soldier won't make money anymore, so he's going to stop doing it. Um, and two, if he wants to do it and find success, he is going to have to find the next big female stars. And um, it seems like all the towns are in China now and no Hong Kong, Hong Kong audiences won't buy into any more China talent the way they bought into say, check me out as a category. Free star. Wait, you mean, not you even, mean... uh, he, she tried to sell Chinese female stars in Hong Kong, you know, like, um, like a uh, diesel, Yao Ming or Ming Yao. <laughs> Meng Yao. I was going to say, Ming, she's Ming not Yao, the next Yao. big thing. Like yeah. Ming Yao. <laughs> who, yeah. Who knows where the hell she is now? Uh, Hong Kong, let's face it, Hong Kong audiences would never buy into a, a mainland Chinese star the way they buy into, you know, Hong Kong stars. Yeah. Even the mm. Bing Bings. Yeah. Not clear, no. Um, yeah, well, I, you know, I, I wouldn't mind seeing him 
do something. And it's I wouldn't put it outside of the realm of possibility. I mean, there could be a chance if he smelled money and if he right. had a way to, to work it in to the mainland. But yeah, I, well, because that's that's what I was because even when he put up the comment, I said Wang Jing likes China and that's obviously where the money is. And yet, if someone offered him an obtuse amount of money to make this one of those, of course, he'd do it. But no one, like going back to what Kevin said, nobody's going to put that money up because they'll never get it back. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, who knows? Maybe in a couple of years, the podcast on fire will, will get bought out by, uh, you know, some some Swedish millionaire and uh, then uh, Ken can fund it himself, right? <laughs> but actually, and, and they can what, follow um, the Vulgaria what, plot. What, they can bling, bring a... Ching me Yao back, and they can CG uh, somebody's head on her or something, <laughs> or vice versa. <laughs> but actually, you know what? Um, Wang Jing, Wang Jing is never. He was rarely a trendsetter, especially in the last decade and a half. He's not a trendsetter, and and seeing how Pao Chen has worked out with with um, with uh, how cursing has done really well in Hong Kong. Um, he's already started with Mister Mrs. Gambler. Don't be surprised if we mix a category three movie with a lot of curse, curse words. Mm, yeah. Um, but I think point. that's about as far as you would go in terms of category three in Hong Kong. Yeah, which was mm-hmm. wasn't a terrible film, Mister and Mrs. Gambler. I mean, not innovative, but not terrible. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, I think that's going to do it, folks. As of course, if of course, if you would like to be part of the show, you can get in touch with us a variety of ways. The best way is to go over to the website that is kongcast.com, K-O-N-G-C-A-S-T dot com. Or you can head over to, to iTunes and leave us some feedback there. Do you like the show? Do you hate the show? Do you want more Category 3 content on the show? Whatever. Uh, drop us a line over there. Twitter, you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com slash concast to follow updates of the show. Uh, twitter.com slash foxlore if you want to follow along with uh, my inane tweets week by week. I urge you to follow twitter.com slash thegoldenrock, that is one word, uh, to follow Kevin and the many updates that he does on a daily basis, talking about things, a wide range of things, but a lot of things about cinema, China cinema, Hong Kong cinema, and interesting stuff if you're a cinema fan. Dr. Tierney, how can people follow you? Are you on the Twitter? I am, but I don't know why anybody, I don't even want to follow myself. Um, <laughs> I'm not even sure what it is. I think it's White Bison 66 all right. At Twitter. Yep. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. Yeah. Um, All right. And, most uh, of what I say isn't really constructive, but, you know. Yeah, but it's funny. And so if you want humor in your life, follow Dr. Tierney. Especially Very sarcastic humor. humor yeah. uh, if you would like to write us directly, you can email us through Gmail. That is eastscreen at gmail.com. And if you would like to send along a comment, a question, or even a short review, you can do that in text form or in audio form. Keep it short and sweet, and we might just play it here right on the show. Uh, we also have Facebook. We are on the Facebook, facebook.com slash east s west s, and you can get in touch through us there. We, uh, you know, Kevin's over there updating. I don't know if we're going to do the new fancy MySpace thing. You know, everybody's talking about <laughs> MySpace is coming back now, so I don't know if I'm ready to, to take the plunge just yet. But who knows? We, uh, you can also um, you know, get in touch with me over on Google+, Google Plus for any uh, direct questions or comments. And we do have a movie group that happens here in Hong Kong from time to time, usually on Thursdays or Fridays or sometime on the weekend, and we have events that are scheduled when this happens. If you are in Hong Kong or if you're coming to Hong Kong and you would like to be 
included in those events and come out and watch some films with us and visit the legendary Dynasty Theater, um, you know, do drop me a line and I can uh, include you in that uh, that little private listing. But then, as we know, karmically, that means the movie's going to suck. Yes. Yeah. Wildly well, so. <laughs> right? That's the tradition, yeah. Anytime we have a, a, a guest coming through town who comes out, we it's usually just the wackiest, worst, terriblest movie. And, uh, yeah, my dad was the last victim for that with Passion Island. Uh, who I knows what will be in next? A, 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 Sorry, man. Yeah. Oh, I want to put in a, another plug for my four-and-a-half-hour um, appearance last week on uh, Talk Only, a um, local uh, web radio show. Uh, four, and a, four hours and 45 minutes of me and, and a bunch of um, locals uh, speaking in Cantonese, swearing a lot. I swear a hell of a lot more in Cantonese, apparently, now. Um, talk about transmedia, uh, local films, writing film criticisms for, um, for foreigners, mm. I mentioned. Um, and even the Apple earpods, which are surprisingly good. So yes, uh, it's on talkonly.net. I am on the September 21st show and, uh, I had a good time. So, um, I might go back again when I didn't have to sell anything. All right. But that is in yeah. Cantonese, right? That is in Cantonese, yeah. all four hours and 45 minutes in Cantonese. So if you're a non-Cantonese speaker and you want a transcript in English, that is twitter.com slash the golden rock. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, okay. Um, also, you can catch us on Stitcher. If you are iTunes-averse, you can listen to us, stream us live on your, uh, not live, but stream us after the fact on your iPhone, Android phone, BlackBerry, and WebOS phones. Stitcher is smart radio for your phone. Find it in your app store or at stitcher.com. Stitcher Smart Radio, it's the smarter way to listen to radio. We thank them for their support of our little show. Additional thanks go out to Rob Gowers of Schnauzer Studios for our theme, Ross Chen of lovehkfilm.com for keeping us out and engaged in movie nights each and every week whenever there's a new movie. Also, Kevin, for sticking with me for 125, soon to be 126 episodes. And, of course, Dr. Evil Tierney uh, for you. being agreeing to come on the show at long last and getting his uh, tech equipment yes, sorted seri out. Seriously, no, thank you for this. It, yeah. was, it was fun. And, well, I'm glad. I'm glad. And we, we certainly did appreciate uh, some of your insight in, into both <laughs> the film and Category 3 in general. And, of course, all of you, the listeners, um, for being here with us, whether you're with us live or listening to us as podcast after the fact. Uh, we do like doing this because you like listening. Next show, 126. Uh, Kevin, what do we have on the horizon? Looks like we've got Chow Yun-Fat as Chow Chow, right? Yeah, quite a few films. Uh, it is the long weekend, holiday weekend. So we have um, uh, The Assassin. Uh, for East screen um, we also have Looper, the new um, film from the director of uh, Brick, which I was just watching actually. Um, also, Ted, the Teddy, the talking teddy bear movie from the creator of Family Guy. Um, Asian cinema. Oh, we were some of us who actually catch an IMAX 3D preview of um, Tai Chi Zero. Ah, yes, yeah. yes. So all of that and much more, hopefully, on our next show you know who knows when the next category three will be but until then this is east screen west screen wishing you good viewing and we will see you next time see you next time thank you bye Talk.